Welcome to the Failing Up Podcast, where we dive into critical questions facing high-performance millennials and how they use confidence, fearlessness, inspiration, and positivity to improve themselves every day in order to achieve their full potential in life. Please welcome your host today, unofficial Guinness World Record holder for the fastest marathon on crutches, graduate of William & Mary, world traveler to 36 countries, and author of the new book, Failing Freely Without Crutches, Brandon LaBella. What is up, everyone? It's an amazing day to be alive on this Monday morning, and it's even more amazing because my buddy, Alan Gannett, who's on the podcast today, his book is coming out tomorrow. So I cannot wait. Alan is the founder and CEO of Track Maven, which is measures and improves performance across every channel. So you can tie the details to the big picture for marketers. And most importantly, the book that comes out tomorrow, The Creative Curve, which overturns the mythology around creative genius and reveals the science and secrets behind achieving breakout commercial success in any field. And Alan, welcome to the show, The Failing Up Podcast. And why don't you start off with telling the listeners on who's going to be in this book? Because I don't even... I, I, I don't want to even get too hyped, but it seems like there's some pretty big names on here. Thanks, man. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, it's really nice to be chatting with you. And, um, you know, tomorrow's going to be a fun day. Um, you know, I think, you know, so for the book, basically what I did is um, I read tons and tons of peer-reviewed research on creativity. I interviewed the leading scientists in the field. But then I also went out and actually interviewed 25 living creative geniuses. So these are people like, you know, billionaires like David Rubenstein, you know, startup um, people like Alexis O'Handy, the founder of Reddit, um, you know, Pasek and Paul, which is the songwriting duo who did La La Land, Dear Evan Hansen, and The Greatest Showman, like not bad. Um, and so I interviewed 25 of these creative geniuses. And what I do in the second half of the book is I found that there's these four things that these creative geniuses all did to actually nurture their creativity, to actually enhance it. And so I break down those four things. And um, you know, explain the science um, of how you can actually do it too. Oh, that is that is awesome, and I, I think that leads to the first question, which would be for you: How have you failed up on this amazing, beautiful journey of life, and how did that lead you to writing this book and, and sharing this story, which is going to inspire and educate the world? Yeah. So in terms of failing up, I mean, you know, my first company that I started in college was a Facebook performance marketing company. And, you know, we bootstrapped, we were like five people, you know, it didn't, um, you know, we sold it for a very small amount of money. It definitely wasn't a success per se. Um, But it was one of these experiences where it really got me thinking a lot about, this was back in 2011, when, you know, Facebook marketing and paid social was more nascent. It got me thinking a lot about this intersection of the right brain and the left brain and how oftentimes the way to be most effective at things like art and creativity is to apply data and rationality to it. And if you do that, creativity goes from this sort of like nebulous, organic thing to something that's much more straightforward, much more simple, something you can actually achieve and do if you want to. Wow. Okay. So I guess that leads to kind of the next point, which would be from like a creativity level you talk about how anyone can discover this creativity and you obviously lend some footsteps and, and, and things to do in order to get there. What differentiates someone who has this creativity that you're giving out to the world? So, 
in the book, what I explain is there's a lot of science actually around creativity. And creativity is actually a pretty well-studied phenomenon. What the science shows us is that we actually all have the same creative potential. You know, there's a sort of mythology that you have to be a genius to be creative. But when they actually do studies, for example, where they compare IQ to creative potential, what you find is that once you get over a pretty average IQ, there's actually no correlation between IQ and creative potential. So the question then becomes not what do these people have in common as a, as a you know, from a genetic perspective, but what do these people have in common in terms of how they unlocked the creativity, how they actually took that potential that we all have and actually made it into something. And that's why I spent a lot of time on the book. And basically, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of things. I mean, one of the things I think is really interesting is that we often talk about you know, creators in opposition to consumers, right? So there's that sort of social media meme that, you know, um, consumers, uh, you know, 90% of people consume information, 9% of people engage, 1% of people create, you know, hashtag hustle. And it's stupid. That's also wrong because it turns out that one of the most important parts of being a great creator is actually to consume tons of information. All these creative geniuses I interviewed, they're all huge consumers within their niche. And the reason why, I talk a lot about this in the book, the reason why is that one of the keys to creativity is actually not just creating things that are new, but it's creating things that are the right level of new. You actually don't want things that are so new that they're scary. You want things that are a blend of familiar and novel. And as a result, since you want things that are a blend of familiar and novel, one of your tasks, um, one of your tasks is to know what else is out there, to know what is familiar, to know what your audience will think is cliche and what they think will be innovative, what they think might be too innovative. And so consumption is one of these things that people don't realize is essential to great creativity. And, and going off of that point, that is super, super interesting. And I'm always wondering that with the whole like self-improvement industry in general, everyone's saying like hashtag, like you are worthy, hashtag you are awesome, hashtag like keep hustling, whatever it may be. But how do you try to create metrics for creativity to make sure that you are kind of on the right track with leaving your audience with something that they can understand, but leaving something that's new in, in their kind of mind? Yeah, so one of the things that I thought was really interesting is when I talk to these great creators, you know, we have this sort of myth of creators as like they go off into a cabin in the woods somewhere and they like write their great American novel and they come out of the woods and they're done and woo, like we did it, like life is great. And here's the issue. Uh, that is not how creativity works. The best creators actually are the ones who are most addicted to feedback because they realize that their job as a creator is to create something for an audience, not just for themselves. And so since you're creating something for the audience, you realize and recognize that feedback early and often is part of creating things that are great. If you don't, if you don't get criticized, you never have the opportunity to actually get something better. And so I talk about in the book this example of Ben and Jerry's. So I, I spent a day with the Ben and Jerry's flavor team, which is like, the best job in the world, but somehow, by the way, they're all skinny, which is very shocking to me. And um, I spent a day with them. What was so interesting was that, you know, you think about, you know, creating new ice cream flavors and it's sort of this very culinary and it's delicious. And you think about this as a very like experimental thing and a very touch and feel thing, but it's actually very driven among surveys. They do tons of surveys of their customers before they ever create a batch of ice cream. They're constantly trying to understand 
what are the flavors that will be that right blend of familiar and novel? So they actually every year create a list of 200 flavor ideas. They email, literally email survey to their customers, and they ask two questions. One, how likely are you to buy this flavor? And two, how unique is it? And what these questions are essentially asking is, well, how familiar is it and how novel is it? Because you know, if you just focus on what people say they want to buy, you end up with an entire brand of only cookie, brownie, chocolate, caramel flavors. And eventually that would get boring. If you just focus on unique, well, obviously you'd have stuff that's not really commercially viable. So it's that blend of familiarity and novelty, uniqueness and commercial viability. That's what you have to get. And to get that right, you have to listen to your audience early and often. So how did you, for this book, utilize the feedback from your community and, and the audience to try to... Oh my God. I, um, so what I did is I had about 15 people who were people in the sort of target um, demographic and um, in the target demographic and I had them read chapters as I was going. And so I got lots of feedback. And it's, it's funny because, you know, you write a chapter and you're sort of proud of it. You're like, I did a good job. And then you send it to people and they're like, oh, this is kind of terrible. And you're like, oh, but then you work on it and you fix it and you see how it goes from bad to okay, from okay to good, from good to great. And you realize that that feedback is actually what makes it so good at the end. And so you start to get addicted to the feedback. And now when I ask for feedback for stuff, I'm like crazy about it because I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, please give me honest feedback. Like I want it to be better. And like, I need you to be critical. When people give me sort of like half-hearted feedback, like, oh, it was good. I always get really frustrated because I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I want you to be vicious. I want you to tear it down because I want it to be great. No, I think that, I mean, for me, just with me publishing the book, like same exact thing, just got a ton of feedback and you have to make executive decisions, but at the same time, you really want to get that feedback from different people. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from my book, but one of my good buddies, he called me up and he's like, man, like, I just didn't get it like coming from, he's starting his investment banking job actually in like a couple of weeks. He's like, man, I just don't understand this at all. And I was like, well, at least you're a true friend of mine. And I'm so happy that, uh, that you said that because it's really, really good to hear that from other people. And it's like, we're not going to all like help solve, change the world. Just every single person. Some people are in different situations. My book's obviously about failing. So you're not looking to fail if you're taking a law exam or you're kind of getting your MBA or you're, you're doing this. So it's just kind of, goes to show that it's not going to help everyone, but that feedback is what, I guess, differentiates what a true friend really does. If someone says they love it, but they're just saying that because they like you, that, that really isn't helping you out. So exactly. We want to get better. You should run to the truth. Yeah. <laughs> so from a, from a life perspective with feedback, I guess, I think maybe the biggest kind of catch-22 is that there's so much feedback and so much information going around on social media that it's tough to kind of figure which ones to keep and which one to kind of actually take action on. Sometimes we just have feedback come one in, in one in, in one ear, out the other ear. So from a life perspective, how would you kind of t tell so coach someone to accept feedback when someone so, is very confident in themselves? So I think two things. One, I think like all things, it gets less scary the more you do it. So um, you know, feedback is one of those things that again, you have to change your framework around if you view it as something that's meant to judge your worth as a person, you're not gonna actually appreciate it, you're not gonna be comfortable with it. If you realize that feedback is a tool for you to become great and your creative work to become great, 
you start to appreciate feedback and you love feedback. And so that's one thing. The second thing is get feedback from a lot of people. You know, if you're just getting feedback from one or two or three people, like there's flukes, there's noise, or there's outliers. What I found is that when I get feedback from 10 or 15 people, there's these patterns that start to emerge where you hear the same things from, you know, 70% of the people and you start to realize like, okay, that's probably not just a stylistic thing. That's probably just like, actually, this is good and that's bad. Um, and so I think that's really important. Yeah. And then I guess from a, from a LinkedIn post perspective, so by the way, big kudos to you. I saw the, the post, this was a while ago where you kind of had people post pictures of their dogs. There's a competition. <laughs> That was just unreal. It's just like a whole like list of amazing, cute, beautiful dogs. So <laughs> love that. But another post that you had that I thought was also very interesting, but not as adorable, was talking about like competition. <laughs> and I know there was a pretty good debate going on on LinkedIn about that. So maybe you want to talk about your take on healthy ambition and, and, and what you mean by that. Yeah. So I think that you know, for entrepreneurs and ambitious people, there's generally this notion that drives them, especially early on, of like there's something I wanna prove. Like there's a chip on the shoulder. When you look at the early lives of a lot of entrepreneurial people, usually there's something like, maybe there's divorce, maybe there's a critical parent, maybe there's a critical friend, maybe there's something bad happened, maybe they were bullied. There's usually some sort of like reason why they're putting in so much damn energy. And, um, and usually what happens is they start to see some success because they're working so hard and then they find that, okay, I've had the success, and you, you, keep, um, you keep having that chip on your shoulder. It doesn't actually go away. That success doesn't make it disappear. And what you see some people do is you end up in this cycle. Where you keep working yourself harder and harder and harder, and you keep having success and success and success, but you never find fulfillment. You never are satisfied, and that's a problem. And that's unhealthy because what it leads to is this sort of treadmill effect where you're never ever in your life can look back and say, hey, um, I feel good about what I did. And so what I found for me is that the important pivot was changing it from, hey, there's this outcome I want to achieve to there's this journey I want to be on, right? In my journey, in how I spend my days, like I want to be surrounded by great people. I want to make them better. Um, I want to be high integrity. Those are the things I actually want to do. And once you realize that and you make it about the journey, you stop waiting for this like moment where all of a sudden all of your problems will be fixed. And you realize that the life you have is the life you're going to have. And um, you're going to make it as great as possible. And every day should be full of, you know, um, satisfaction to whatever degree you can in the constraints and the life you have. And so um, that was a long answer to your question, but, you know, ultimately, I think we have to stop being so um, goal-oriented and be more journey-oriented. No, I completely agree. And it's so funny. I was listening to Ryan Holiday yesterday on like one of his podcasts with Aubrey Marcus, and he was saying the same thing. So they were talking about his book, Ego, The Enemy, was coming out. And they were saying about how, like, how did he set goals for the book? And he was saying the same exact thing that you were saying about how, like, why does it matter if I sell a million books or 990,000 books? You know what I mean? So just that concept of it's not like if he hits a million books or it's not like if this book hits a million books, it's like it's going to change your life. You know what I mean? I mean, it's great. And like, you're going to be really proud and, and you've achieved a lot, but at the same time, that's not going to define who you are and it's not going to automatically just make you kind of be even more amazing. It's just going to make you just 
be satisfied with yourself and keep doing your best every single day. So I think that's a hundred percent point. And I guess from the book's perspective, if there was like one thing that you want the reader to get out of it, like say, I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped to read this. I obviously pre-ordered it. <laughs> Thanks, like, dude. What is something that like for just someone who's blind to not creativity, but not really in the marketing space, how would you kind of uh, pitch it to me? Is it like, what would one thing I would, I would get out of it? I think, you know, in the, I end the book with something that I think is important. And, you know, the book is laying out this framework for reapproaching creativity within your own life. But that's not saying that it's easy. In fact, I think for many people, this sort of mythology of creativity as being this thing that you know, for some creative geniuses is this wonderful, easy thing that just comes to them, which isn't actually true. But I think the fact that they believe that gives them an excuse to themselves to not actually work that hard. You say, well, it's not that easy, you know, it's not easy for me, so why should I try? And what I think is really important is for people to realize and step back and realize that if you want to become really great at something, it is possible. But just because it's possible doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, now that there is a roadmap and a plan and a framework that you can take action on, it actually means that there's a lot of hard work ahead of you. And if you want to tackle it and you want to do it, you can do it. But don't kid yourself that it's going to be easy. And so that would be what I would sort of say just from a, a meta takeaway is that um, creativity is supposed to be hard. And that's part of where the fun comes, that journey of becoming good at something. No, 100%. And I know that for my next book, um, I have a lot of things that um, I'm going to be adding in there kind of just from that journey and the whole process. I mean, writing a book is probably the definition of delayed gratification. Just when <laughs> your hand, and I, I know when you had it, you posted on Facebook and you had it in your hand. It's got, it's got to be the craziest feeling in the world. For me, it was just like, holy shit, this is real. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so going back to the kind of satisfaction and fulfillment, how do you find fulfillment in your own life and how has that um, changed on your own journey um, throughout the book and throughout your company and, and all of the good stuff? Yeah, for me, it's really been about um, two things. One is, well, it's actually one thing. Um, it's all about developing people. And so that's both internal and external. So I like having great people who are around me work on my team who I can coach, I can develop, I can make better. To me, that's like drives a huge amount of satisfaction and feels like a positive impact on the world and society. Uh, externally, I actually find a ton of satisfaction from teaching, from explaining. So like I talk to a lot of marketers, a lot of marketing conferences. I'm constantly sort of talking about best practices and things to think about. And that's really emotionally fulfilling because you know, whether or not it's you know, developing you and your skills as a manager, developing you and your skills as a marketer, all of these things are part of who we are as humans, right? If you're great at your work, if you can provide better for your family, and I can contribute to that, like that's a really emotionally fulfilling thing, even though it seems kind of corporate. Um, and so for me, that's, those are the things that really drive a sense of fulfillment. Awesome. Well, anyways, Alan, this has been so, so amazing. I just want to acknowledge you for a second just for you going out and, and you just taking on this company, you helping people all around the world and just going after your dreams, enjoying the journey. And in the meantime, just making the world a more positive and better place. So thank you so much. And we're going to head to the last part of the segment for the podcast. So what do you want your legacy to be? I'd say, you know, 
I've invested in a bunch of startups and, you know, hopefully you've had a positive impact on them and, you know, they've been able to employ people and grow. And so I think that means a lot. Um, you know, the people that employed at TrackMaven, you know, um, you know, hopefully they view their time here as time when they've really developed to push themselves. And, you know, this was like a, a time of intense learning for them. And, um, you know, third, I hope that my friends, um, you know, grew as people because of their friendships with me. And I hope that I was a positive impact on them and that, um, you know, that our relationship strengthened them. No, I, I love that. And I think that the last part is so kind of crucial to my journey in its own is saying, well, life's just more about just me. And I thought it was all about me. And then I realized how satisfying and fulfilling it was helping other people grow on their own journey, showing people that life could be better, that life could be more meaningful and life could be more fulfilling. So I, I think that's, that, that's amazing. And I think that you have left this type of legacy already. So I guess what's, what's next for you? The book's going to come out. What, what's the next kind of big uh, step for you? Um, I'm sure it's going to oh, be. Oh my God. I don't, I don't set goals. It's just, uh, you know, just living my life and, you know, got a book coming out of a company I'm running. Uh, life is, life is, life is exciting enough. Yeah. So just kind of rolling with the flow and just seeing who needs your help the most and where you can kind of add value, I guess. Right. You got it. And I guess the last question that I normally ask my guests is a billboard question. So going off of, say, you're on a highway and there's a lot of cars stuck in traffic and you see a billboard, but you have the power to write any sentence in the world to inspire those people who are looking at that billboard. What would that billboard say? Surround yourself with great people, dot, 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 and listen to them. <laughs> I love it. Well, Alan, this has been so amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And can't wait to read your book and find it in the mail. Ah, you're the best, dude. You're the and, best. Uh, we'll definitely uh, be in touch. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Bye. Bye.